Welcome to the Wonder Women series of the Maker Mom podcast. My name is Katie Freeman and I am your host. Every week I bring you two interviews of female and non-binary makers of all kinds, some of them parents and some of them not. Today's Wonder Women series guest is Rachel of Moody Makes on Instagram. So besides being a woodworker, Rachel is also a teacher and she is working on getting her doctorate degree currently. Um, Before we hop on in to the interview with Rachel, I wanna give a big shout out and thanks to the uh, patrons over on Patreon. So thank you so much, Kevin Lefty's Woodshop, Christy Twisted Twine, Christina B, Jeremy Spies, Sammy, Go Sammy Lee, Lauren Rasp File Designs, Sven Dwarf Size Workshop, Rachel Moody Makes, Bonnie Toolmom Bonnie, Toolmomstore.com, Laura Oakley Soap Company, Mary Lou Made by Mary Lou, Amy Bison Valley Carving, Dan and Kelly Reclaim Living Store, Brandy Studio Obey, Kathy One Girl and Her Tools, Ellen Little Bear Furniture, and Ethan, Ethan Carter Designs. Thank you all so very much for your ongoing continued support, helping me to produce two episodes a week, every week. And with no further ado, here is Rachel of Moody Makes. Well, as you know, I always have guests start by introducing themselves. So I'm going to let you do that when you are ready. Oh, I actually, I actually forgot about that part. (laughs) I didn't plan for that. Uh, yeah, so I'm, I am Rachel Moody. Um, I live in Eastern Massachusetts, right outside of Boston. Um, I am a woodworker, I guess. Um, and I, I make stuff in my little small shop um, in my little one car garage that's, uh, that I've been working on for almost two years now just to make the actual structure uh and then make it organized and workable um Mm -hmm. and now i've started to transition to other types of projects and eventually i'll get to furniture you know (laughs) that's sort of where i'm at i don't know what else you want to know well Um, that's a that's good starting place i was gonna ask are so like you said one car garage is that like do you own your home or you're renting and have to um, so we live in a three-family home um, and of three condos, and we're on the first floor. Um, and there's like a detached three-car garage, three has gotcha. three bays, and we have one of the bays. Um, okay. And we own, yeah, condos. Um, and we're, we're lucky; the other two bays are like attached to each other. Um, but ours, for some reason, has a, a wall that separates it from the other two. Already, it already oh. had a wall, so I could sort of make it my own space. That is really nice because that would yeah. that would definitely suck to have to like have it open and share. 
Yeah. With, yeah. with my neighbors. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Especially um, if they're not keen on getting sawdust all over their yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I've insulated it, uh, spent a while uh, insulating it and um, putting up walls and stuff. And so the noise is kept pretty low. Um, and they, so I don't think I've bothered them too much yet. Well, that's good. That's good. All right. So I want to know what is the, uh, what's the story of Rachel? <laughs> My story? Oh God. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Um, sort of like how I got to, to the type of making or woodworking that I do or uh, just in uh, just in general like how how'd you get to be the person you are where you are today there you go is that <laughs> that narrows it down for you right <laughs> um I don't know um well I thought you were gonna ask me about, about my childhood so I'm gonna start with childhood <laughs> perfect <laughs> Uh, I grew up in California in like a small rural town of about a thousand people. Um, it's about an hour from Silicon Valley in San Francisco. It's actually a place where <clears throat> it's on the coast and it's a place where lots of folks like drive over the mountain from Silicon Valley for the weekend and stuff because it's it's pretty. Um, Is it Russian River area? No, that's that's I think north of San Francisco. Yeah, that's yeah. I'm we're, I'm south of San Francisco. Okay. Yeah, the other direction. Um, but yeah, um, I grew up there. My my mom also grew up in my town, um, and is very fond of it, which is why she still wanted to stay. Um, <laughs> and grew up with <clears throat> like on eight acres of land. Although we didn't have a farm or anything, uh, my mom had chickens at one point, but that's about it. Um, we, and I don't know, was outside a lot um, and did a lot of sports and like was pretty creative kid and, um, you know, finding things to do in such a small place <laughs> where there was not a lot going on. Like my, um, my closest friend, like distance wise was an hour walk. Um, so for some reason, I still, I don't know why my parents let me. Uh, walk to my friend's house um but yeah so you know always had to find things to do um whether it was like building skate ramps or like my friend lived at the top of a mountain and uh we like would take those little um like children's plastic uh picnic benches and like mm -hmm. flip it upside down and duct tape it to a skateboard and like ride <laughs> down the mountain. And yeah, again, I don't know why we were allowed to do that, um, <laughs> but it, it didn't have helicopter parents, I think is what I'm getting at. Like we just sort of were left to, to our own devices. Um, yeah, so I think that played a big part in sort of developing like a sort of like a rich inner life and a sense of creativity and, and um, experimenting with things and yeah um and then in terms of well I don't know I don't really know what direction you want me to go in <laughs> with uh who well, I am or can, how I got yeah, into this you can, yeah 
yeah where'd you where'd you go i guess past past that past like you know high school and stuff um i i past high school i i went to uh well actually for high school i i didn't go to school in my in my hometown i went to school in in silicon valley and that was so drove an hour there each day and that was a bit of a a culture shock um but um from there ended up going to college on the east coast um my dad is from the East Coast and we have some family out here. Um, and so I ended up going out to school near Boston. Um, and then I didn't know what I wanted to do after I graduated. I thought education, but I, I think I was sort of swept up in like, you know, why did we pay all this money for me to be a teacher? <laughs> um, just sad, but right, it's true. Um, and when I went back home, uh, moved back to my hometown um, and live with my mom. And she, I, I started working at a nonprofit, like a community resource center in my hometown. Um, and that's, and this was like sort of around the time of like the, um, when the market crashed, like the recession. And so, um, I was, I was happy to get a job, um, but I was interested in it. It was like, it was education related. Um, and from there, like, and I worked with uh, a lot of folk, like I did some adult education teaching. I worked with some high school students on getting into college. I realized, you know, what I really wanted to do was get back into education. And so then I finally did go to do, do a teaching program out there. Um, then when it came time to be a teacher, I uh, ended up moving back east to Boston. <laughs> so that's how I ended up back out here for no good reason other than I think I want to get away again, you know, mm-hmm. um, and just and be somewhere else. Like I, I did enjoy being home for a couple of years, um, but I think sort of the smallness of it was starting to get to me again, sort of Mm -hmm. overwhelming. Um, Yeah. What was, um, tell me a little bit more, like what was like the culture of your kind of hometown? Like, Hmm. um, I don't know. (laughs) Uh, It's, 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 I mean, it's Northern California. It's like, fairly liberal. Um, I think there's a mix of folks. Um, it's like my town specifically because it's agricultural has a lot of migrant farm workers and their families. Um, so it's like majority Mexican. Um, and like, I don't remember percentages now, but, mm-hmm. um, and part of my, my work at the nonprofit was working with those families. And, um, I, I, studied abroad for a year in Mexico in college. So I learned Spanish. And so that was um, coming back to working my community and learning Spanish. I learned a lot more about my community that I didn't know growing up because of, you know, language barriers and other um, sort of inadvertent segregation. Mm -hmm. Um, And 
Yeah, so I don't I don't know if there's like one culture of <laughs> my hometown. Um, I think for as small it is, it's pretty complex. Um, but there there definitely is a sense of like folks wanting to get out. I think that's mm -hmm. pretty small or pretty common with small towns. Um, mm -hmm. And I think like uh, like my whiteness and economic mobility absolutely helped me leave. Right. Mm -hmm. Not to not to say that's true for everyone. Like my brothers still live in the area. Um, they decided not to leave, but mm -hmm. like I wanted to and I could. So, right. Uh, right. Yeah. Um, I do think it was. Uh, I do think it was difficult to be any different than people had known you to be growing mm -hmm. up. Because everybody knows each other. Um, so I think like being queer there was pretty difficult. Um, even though people probably knew that about me for a long time anyways, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. Do you feel like, I mean, I guess I don't know, you know, your, your story around, uh, discovery of self in regards to that, mm -hmm. um, because everybody's story is so different yeah. and unique. Um, but do you feel like the smallness of where you were, did it make it easier or harder to connect with that part of yourself growing up? Uh, I mean, I think I made it more difficult. I didn't know any gay people. Mm -hmm. um, uh and so I, it was just like whoever I saw on TV, right? Um, mm -hmm. And uh, there weren't a lot of people on TV in, you know, the 90s and mm -hmm. even early 2000s. There was like, what, Will and Grace, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, um, and Ellen. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah. So I think that was that for sure made it harder although there like there wasn't as as much for, for sure like overt stuff um that was discriminatory or things mm -hmm. like that as there as there is in other parts of the country for sure mm -hmm. or even other parts of california to be honest but right makers today's episode is brought to you by toolmomstore.com toolmom and company is for all ages genders they have what you need for your one-stop tool related merchandise of gifts and clothing uh, the products are fun fashionable one of a kind in fact i have two of the mugs uh, one has a circular saw with flames coming off of it and says go girl another one has the definition of a tool chick both of them are super awesome and i have coffee out of them almost every morning so check out toolmomstore.com or find them on instagram at toolmombonnie you can receive an extra 20% off at checkout by using the code MAKERMOM. Um, California is a mighty big state. And yeah. I and, and I don't think people, me being one of them, like 
growing up in the Midwest mm-hmm. and basically all I really knew about California was San Francisco and the idea that it was like a haven or like yeah. supposed to be like utopia <laughs> for people mm-hmm. like me um and so like that and then when I moved to California and where we lived it was I guess eye-opening to realize that no you know outside of like the major cities like California is predominantly conservative and (laughs) and you have to be careful based on yeah where you live for sure. Yeah. I remember you saying you, you were near San Diego or something, which is a pretty yeah. conservative area, actually. Yeah. yeah uh, we lived in Northern San Diego County um, mm-hmm. where Camp Pendleton is and stuff. So yeah. um, military base presence makes it uh, difficult to, yeah. say, to say the least. Um, but yeah, it was, <clears throat> it's just interesting to hear, uh, you know, I guess the experience of like, as a child, that was like what I looked to, to be like, oh, if I move there, like, yeah. I can be okay. Um, and yeah, being like, how much of a fairy tale, I guess. that was. <laughs> <laughs> True. Yeah. I think, I don't know, my town was, uh, yeah. again, it's hard to generalize. I think, Again, I didn't really see anyone out in my town. Um, although there, I'm sure there were people, I just, I, I didn't know them or didn't recognize them. Um, mm-hmm. And <clears throat> I mean, there were like this, like, you know, small contingent of uh, I don't know, farmer bros. I don't know what you'd call <laughs> <Yeah>. them. <laughs> I mean, yeah, to be honest, that like, um, you know, like my, my, that was like my older brother's age and stuff and, and, and like absolutely would like, would just yell faggot all the time and things like, you know, so it's like, that was, that was there, even if, um, even if it wasn't like as part of the, the whole culture of the place. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I don't know. I think. Um, well, I don't know what it would have been like if I had stayed in, in that area for my high school. I, my, my parents got divorced, so I stayed, my mom stayed in that small town, and then my dad lived like a half an hour north um, mm-hmm. in another small town, just not as small. <laughs> um, but um, I don't know what it would have been like if I'd stayed in that high school. I ended up going to a Catholic high school in Silicon Valley. And so it was, it, because it was Silicon Valley, it was, it was, um, like probably the most liberal version of a Catholic school that you could have uh, for the early 2000s. Right. Um, but it was still a Catholic school. And um, there was a lot of, I was actually just talking to friends from high school about this the other day. Um, there was like uh, a lot of like uh, silence um, and like a lot of, uh, shame that mm-hmm. that I don't know what I'd call it like silence induced shame I guess I suppose yeah um, where it's like you know we value you as a whole person we want you to develop as a whole person um, just don't talk about that one part of you please like and it's fine if you're that way but just 
don't tell anyone or like, you know, right. um, I was lucky that I had um, a couple teachers that were just incredible um, and like helped me come out in high school. Um, but it was difficult and it was it, not just for me, for everyone during that time and before. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yeah. I get it. We're, we're close, we're close in age. And let's just say it's that time period was not what, what it is today. Not to say that today is perfect by any means, but um, <clears throat> it just was different. Yeah. It is surprising. It is surprising how much has changed in the last 15 years or 20 mm -hmm. years for mm -hmm. sure. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah. 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 Totally get it. So why go into education? Um, I mean, I think, uh, I, I was lucky that I had always felt safe in school. I always did well in school. Um, I think, uh, I, from really young enjoyed sort of the creative aspects of thinking about what it would be like to teach things or, you know, and learning new things and sort of nerdily planning around <laughs> like to teach things in the fake school and stuff, you know? Yeah. Um, and then as I got older, I think uh, my priorities uh, or rationale changed to be um, more like, I guess more in line with sort of, uh, social justice aims and, and, mm -hmm. you know, thinking about ways to improve the world and, and people's lives and stuff. Um, I think, uh, did I enter with like a bit of a savior mentality? Probably, to be honest. Um, but I think, I think many people do. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. Yeah. And then once you learn, you learn, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. <laughs> um, it's, it's uh, listening to a podcast the other day about, oh, and I can't think of his name right now. Uh, he does conversation, uncomfortable conversations with a black man. Um, can't think of his name. Anyways, uh, <clears throat> he was talking about like, you know, white people don't shouldn't feel feeling guilty about your white privilege does nobody any good just mm. acknowledge that you have that privilege and then go do something with it right mm -hmm. so <clears throat> um but that there's a fine line i think of between the idea of like like you said like going in as a savior versus uh going into i think of it more as like work with yeah, or exactly, or just open the door, but don't feel like to do for. Yep. Um, and personally, sometimes I have to actually stop and ask myself that question: like, am I doing this to do for somebody, or am I trying, trying to just open that door and let them do for yeah. themselves? And um, and yeah, and offer your skill set. Um, right. But <clears throat> yeah, but open the door, uplift, but not control. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. So like, I mean, you talked about, you went back home and you, you worked in nonprofit and got to work with some of those uh, migrant families in your, mm -hmm. in your hometown. 
is that do you feel like that was like invaluable in the sense of like learning some of that lesson about like yeah I think I think this is what I wrote my application like my essay my application <laughs> to grad school the first time um was <clears throat> I at that point was like uh working with um some like so I had graduated college I was working with high school students so like we were not that far apart in age. Mm -hmm. And so like, I recognized some of them. I knew some of them. I, they were some like younger siblings of some other people, kids that I've grown up with. Um, but working with them on college application stuff, um, I, I, I do think it was sort of like a light bulb moment around like, you know, like looking at transcripts, um, for example, and being like, okay, let's figure out like, you know, you want to go to college? Great. Let's figure out where you can apply. Um, so at the time the school didn't have like a full-time college counselor. So mm -hmm. like, we were just trying to help in any way we could. Um, mm -hmm. And I was just out of college, very familiar with the process, obviously. Um, and so we'd be sitting down, it'd be sitting down in these meetings with these kids and looking at transcripts and be like, okay, like in California, it's, it, it is or what it what definitely was I don't know if it still is called the A to G requirements like the different types of classes and the number of years that you have to mm -hmm. have of those classes in order to even qualify to apply right and so we'd be filling out the chart um, and get to the end of it and be like uh, well you know you didn't take algebra two and you didn't take four years of English or whatever, right? Like you were put in this remedial track or something. So like your four years of English don't actually count as English credits. So like, I'm sorry, you can't even apply to a four-year college. Um, and just having those conversations like over and over again um, was, was eye-opening, I think. Um, and so, yeah, did, not, not that everybody needs to go to a four-year college. Right. I'm just saying like that, right. you know, um, what did you feel like having those conversations? Um, I mean, I'm just, I'm trying to think in my like yeah. <laughs> 22 year old brain. Um, but I, I think I, I, you know, I just thought it like sensed the injustice of it all, you know, yeah. <laughs> like I got super self-righteous about it, I think. Um, and was like, let's transform everything. And, you know, uh, I think I'm a little more like measured and nuanced in, in sort of my understanding of, of school systems and education now. But at the time, um, uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was awful. I felt terrible for them. And I was like, and this, you know, this wouldn't have happened to me. Um, yeah. And it's not right. Um, so. Yeah, we, recently <clears throat> uh, trying to kind of broaden the, I don't know, broaden what my kids see or interact with um, via books recently, right? Trying to like thoughtfully, trying to find um, uh, books that contain stories that are not just showing um, white families, um, and so showing stories of, like, black and brown families, uh, including, like, historical <clears throat> things, 
And I didn't even know this existed about, and I'm probably going to totally mess up the facts, but I want to think, I think it was in the 50s or 60s um, where like a, a Mexican family who had, you know, they legally did immigrate to the U.S. Um, <clears throat> and ended up, you know, they owned their own farm. And uh, when they went to send their children to school, uh, they were told they had to go to the Mexican school. Like they weren't allowed to just go to the public school that was like just down the street from them, even though there was no like law <laughs> about this, but it, but they had created totally separate schools. Um, and, and this book is really great about just sharing like what that school was like and what the experience was like. And um, they took it to the Supreme Court and won um, <clears throat> the case for there to be full, you know, integration basically. Mm -hmm. Um, but I just like what stuck out the most, I guess what broke my heart the most, and then having a conversation like with my kids as we're reading it is talking about signs that they would see like just in restaurants and stuff that said, no dogs, no Mexicans. And like, <laughs> just the, the thought of like, wow, you know, I didn't, I, I guess I just didn't realize how uneducated I was about uh, uh, the history there, especially in California, given that California, at least Southern California, used to be part of Mexico. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just, it, it's mind boggling, I guess, at times. Mm -hmm. um, and that those inequalities, unfortunately, still exist, even though that Supreme Court case was, you know, seven yeah. years ago <laughs> or whatever it was <laughs> yeah i think it's trickier uh now because it's not overt right um and it's like uh it's more difficult to point out the bad actors right and then I, I think that's probably what i meant by like the more nuanced understanding of it now that it's like uh it's a uh sort of collection of um mentalities or ideologies mm -hmm. um combined with like school policies combined with state policies and admissions requirements yeah. and 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 individual people's actions interpersonal actions um you know institutional actions that yeah. like all sort of come together to create you know the inequities that we see today so mm -hmm. it's like it's uh it's i think that makes it more difficult for people to understand too um which uh it's probably why it's it's so hard to have com like the national conversation about these things right now right mm -hmm. um yeah it's i think that's why it's valuable though um to learn about the history and then be able to connect the dots to like how it looks today mm -hmm. you know yeah. what i mean like <clears throat> and that to your point, like we might have grown up inadvertently, like helping to add to that system of inequality, but we didn't even know it. And like, if you asked mm -hmm. us, we'd all probably, you know, a lot of us would be like, but, but I'm not racist or I'm not whatever. Mm -hmm. um, 
And that may be the case, but we're still participating in a system that is. And so until you yeah. realize and understand that, then changes can't be made. Absolutely. Yeah. Hey, friends, I wanted to tell you about an awesome brand I discovered that you might love as well. Have you ever spent a ton of money on clothing that was supposed to be high performance only for it to end up at the back of your closet because it just doesn't fit right? I personally hate when this happens. I get excited about a new pair of work boots and then I'm disappointed to find out they just weren't designed for me. Discovering Athena Outfitters was a game changer for me. Athena Outfitters is a quality workwear brand for hardworking women. All of their items are handpicked to meet the needs of women in the trades, not just sized down versions of items designed for men. They've got great workwear essentials like comfortable, soft, and safety toe boots and options for my active lifestyle when I'm off the clock as well. Shopping with Athena Outfitters saves me time and energy because I always know I'm getting a high quality product that also looks and feels great. Next time you're looking for gear with grit, check out AthenaOutfitters.com. That is a-T-H-E-N-A outfitters.com and use special code at checkout MM15 to get a 15% discount because you listen to the Maker Mom podcast. Yeah, I think, <laughs> yeah and I think like in, in, in the work that I, I so now I, I uh, teach pre-service teachers um what, what's that mean you're gonna have to you're gonna have to oh explain yeah what sorry I, uh, <laughs> well not all pre-service teachers but mainly mainly like student teachers or like okay. uh, undergrads who are in programs to become mm -hmm. teachers or just thinking about teaching um all sort of kind of follow under that umbrella pre-service um and yeah so that's the that's part of what i strive to do with them not I'm not sure if I always accomplish the goal <laughs> the goals that I set out but um are yeah you, under, so are you under, teaching are at like a college then yeah I I yeah I'm um trying to finish my PhD and uh and I teach at so at the institution where I go to school and then at another one that's nearby okay yeah um so I, I want to ask, so you're near Boston. Yeah. So near a big city. Yeah. Um, so what is like, what's the makeup like of the students coming through your program? Oh, the, the undergraduate programs? Yeah. Um, both, I mean, but both of the institutions are like majority white. Um, one is a Catholic institution. Yay. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. Um, are you a glutton for punishment? Yeah. Right. No, it's like, oh God. I, we needed to stay in Boston. And so I had, I, I, you know, I had what I had to apply to, but um. Yeah. Yeah, so I forgot what your question was now. What's the makeup of the What's students? the makeup, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, like 80% of teachers are white. Um, so 
that's, I mean, and that's slowly getting better, but, um, well, I suppose it's not getting better for everyone. So we, like in the last 30 years, there have been more um, Asian and Latinx educators um, like that. The, those percentages have been going up, but um, that has not been true for black educators and, and Native American educators. So mm. other than that, it's like, but the institutions I'm in are, yeah, majority white. Um, one of the classes I'm teaching right now actually is like, got maybe like a quarter Latinx students, which is very exciting, so. Hmm. Yeah. So I suppose, you know, we're like getting close to halfway through. I suppose I should ask oh, yeah. where woodworking <laughs> comes into all Yeah, of this. right, at some point. <laughs> um, oh. Yeah, oh. I mean, as, as far as like what I understand of your story is mm -hmm. it's somewhat new of an endeavor for you to be getting into. So just, yeah, what's the, I guess, what's the, the why, the how, the what behind yeah. getting into it? <laughs> um, I, so I think like, I, I've always been sort of creative and, and, and interested in, in building stuff. I just think um, I wasn't, I wasn't like always given the opportunities. Um, like, you know, my, my older brother is a, what do you call it? Um, contractor actually. Mm -hmm. Um, and he's been, he's been doing that full time since, since he was 16. Um, and so at some point prior to that in childhood, he had some experiences that let him know that he liked that. And we grew up in the same house. And for some reason that was not the case for me. Um, I, yeah, and it's and it's not like um, my parents like didn't want me to do it. I just think I think I mean there was one situation I can remember where like I my brother was building one of those cars, derby cars for the for Boy Scouts, mm -hmm. um, and I really wanted to do it, um, but it was sort of a conversation around like Rachel, you're not allowed to do, you're not allowed to join the Boy Scouts, you're not allowed to do that, even though like most of my friends were boys <laughs> and like I did everything with them. And I, <clears throat> I, until middle school, like I was like, they had to force me out of little league. I'll just say that. Right. Like I, I did, <laughs> uh, I stayed as long as I could in, in, you know, what could remain co-ed mm -hmm. activities. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I think, I expressed interest at different times and it just um, wasn't the, the opportunities were not presented to me in the same way that they were to my brothers. Um, mm. And I think that that's like important, important for folks to understand and, and like parents, especially, I suppose that like um, it's, it's not like just like dis, disactive discouragement that um, prevents different types of people from getting into different, Mm -hmm. hobbies or walks of life or professions or whatever it's that like the same assumptions are not made about are not made or are made for certain types of people based on what they would or wouldn't be interested in you know what I'm trying to say like um well yeah I mean it's it's that it's the it's the gender messaging is basically what it is um what yeah. I see it, it being you know exactly yeah so like um 
like, I, like we'd be visiting family or something and I'd wake up and my dad and my cousins and my brothers would be gone. Right. And, uh, was, and so I'd be there with my like mom and aunt to be like, what's going on? Like, where did they go? And they had like gone off to go fishing or to go paintballing or to go do something. Right. And, and they'd get back and I'd like confront them and be like, why, wh why didn't you invite me? Um, and they'd be, and might just remember like multiple times my dad being like, oh, well, I just didn't think you'd, you'd want to. And it's like, are you, do you know me at all? Like, right. <laughs> where have you been? <laughs> for my whole life um, right. <laughs> yeah um so no I mean I, I, know, I you know what I mean oh I get it I mean that's that's why I vividly you know I, I remember and I, I tell the story of like the things that were purchased for me like for birthdays and mm -hmm. Christmas and stuff like that for the majority of uh, definitely my young childhood were baby dolls and Barbies and I can't stand any of that. Yeah. I couldn't stand any of that then. Yeah. Um, you know, it's like I do the like obligation play with it just because it was like, <laughs> we're poor. And so you went and spent money on this. So I feel bad. So I'll play with it just so like, <laughs> you feel like, you know, whatever. But in all reality, like I just, I had no desire like for those things, I wanted to build things. Um, I wanted to build yeah. with Legos and stuff and connects and all of that. And it took a really, really long time <laughs> for like mm -hmm. my family to get that. Like, yeah. I think I was probably in high school before, like it was ever like really like, oh, okay. But it was still, um, I can say to this day, uh, you know, my, my mom will suggest that I need to like, go buy dresses. And I'm like, really? Like, really? Like, yeah, pretty sure I'm almost 40. Pretty sure you're over 60. We should have this <laughs> understanding by now. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I think it's just the, yeah, it's the, it's the messaging. It's the idea of what it means to be feminine or masculine and yeah how that, you know, plays out into everything, everything, into everything. Yeah. <laughs> everything. I think, I think, uh, I think my, my mom was pretty good. Like my mom was the one I could negotiate with. Like it was more other family who I somehow yet didn't know anything about me or that, <laughs> you know, continue to treat me this way when I actively said no multiple times. Mm -hmm. Um, um, because like she had, uh, like she herself, I think may have gotten into building and things like if, if it again had been like a different time or she had more right. encouragement, like she, um, she took a drafting class, I remember, and she designed the plans for her house. Um, hmm. so like she was always interested in that type of stuff. Um, but yeah, we would negotiate over, I, I swear, like we sat, we sat down like once a year and my just exaggerating but I swear we sat down like once a year to like go through the holidays and like plan which one I would wear a dress for yeah right? like <laughs> okay you're saying that we have Christmas and we have Easter right. and we have this other party and we have <laughs> my holy communion and I will only do one so you yeah. choose right <laughs> um 
it was usually it was usually uh easter and it was quote unquote you know for my grandma mm -hmm. to make her happy well you know what i'm impressed with in that story that you have you advocated for yourself <laughs> Uh, that you even had the gall to try to negotiate that. Um, perhaps if I had known you, I would have realized that was a negotiable uh, deal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, I just suffered through. Oh, um, I hated it so much. Yeah. <laughs> through my Holy Communion, I did, I did give in. Um, and but I refuse to buy anything because have you seen communion dresses? Like they're mm -hmm. awful, um, right. <laughs> like poofy and frilly. And it was just like my, my worst nightmare. Um, right. <laughs> and so I was like, I, I will wear one, but you have to make it. And it cannot have any accessories on it. It can, it can have nothing. So it was basically like a bed sheet, like semi in the form of a dress <laughs> that was just draped over me. Uh, and I said, fine. And I hated it the entire time, but I'm doing this for you, mom. That's right. I love yeah. it. I absolutely love it. Um. <laughs> I said, like, I, I just always been, I don't know. I think with, with some things in my life, I really do like, uh, I don't know, probably care too much what people think or like give, give other people's opinions too much weight. But mm -hmm. when it came to like, uh, what I wear or like certain stuff related to gender from the, my earliest memories, it was like, no, no, I refuse. <laughs> um, which, which maybe made it difficult to have me around. I don't know. <laughs> uh, no, I love that. Um, woodworking. Woodworking. <laughs> uh, yeah. So uh, the first time I actually tried woodworking was in middle school. Um, we had a shop program where like everybody had to try every elective for, I think we had trimesters in my school actually um, for like a trimester. And then you basically, whatever one you liked the most, then you did for like a full year the next year or something like mm -hmm. that. Um, and so I did shop, I did, I don't know what grade it was, sixth, seventh, something like that. Um, and then I didn't do it again for many, many years. Um, but I actually like was trying to remember how I started as an adult. And my wife had to remind me like as of this morning, because I couldn't remember the full, the, like the full story. But um, we didn't live here yet. Um, we lived in a, an apartment and we weren't married yet. Um, and I was teaching and I was having a, uh, like particularly difficult year. Um, I was having like really major anxiety and it was difficult to go to school and, and teach every day. I was, I was, yeah, I was, I was not a good place. And she was like, why don't you like try to get a hobby? You're like, you know what? I, like, I think you might enjoy <clears throat> doing something with your hands and like just getting out of your head a bit. And, um, and so she, she knew of like a, an adult education center nearby um that had like night classes and she's like I think you'd like to work with hand tools and now looking back like I think she had actually like found it ahead of time to give me and she like wanted to get me out of the house because she was like 
she spent a very long time making me a Christmas present and she like wanted me out of the house for like a couple years or sorry, a couple hours yes. once a week. So I think that was actually part of her calculations. But um, <laughs> yeah, the so I ended up taking this hand tool class. Um, how many years ago that was now? Five or six years ago or something. Um, and I liked it. I did. I did like it. Um, because I think I was still too intimidated to really, like really work with machines. So I think it was like a, f a good starting point for me, but I also, after it kind of like, it was literally just like, let's go through the steps and you'll end up with like a little mortise and tenon box. Mm -hmm. And that was it. And like, I, and I guess I liked it, but I'd like, I was struggling to see the bigger picture. Like I didn't understand sort of like, like I know now, like, you know, like the box is sort of the foundation of everything. And that's how you like test out different joints and just different designs and stuff. And like, I had no concept of, of like why I was do why we were making the box or why we were making the way, making it the way it was. I also legitimately struggled with like fractions and like, cause I'd never like tried to measure anything before. And he was like acting like we all had like, could just think in our heads in 30 seconds or something, you know, like. <laughs> um, so I enjoyed it, but I like, I, I think I, I stopped after that, uh, until we moved into this condo and like needed some furniture stuff and some, like, this is a, this is like at least a hundred years old or more like 120 years old. And it's like, there's weird nooks and crannies and crannies and nothing is square. Um, and so we needed like weird pieces of like extra skinny or extra weirdly sized stuff for the house um, that you can't, you like, we couldn't buy. So we still have like some of my first furniture projects, like a bookcase over there in the hallway that's like only six inches deep or something, because that's what it needed to be. But it's like this, it's like, and there's like <laughs> gaps in the drawers. It's like, yeah, but I, I suppose that's where it started. Um, Today's sponsor is Rasp and File Designs. Rasp and File was created to give new life to old things and create spaces that feel timeless, unique, and warm. Your home and business should be your sanctuary, a place of solace, and your personal piece of art. The owner and woodworker behind Rasp and File Designs is Lauren Matthews. And you can follow along and find out more information on Instagram, just look up Rasp Filed Designs, or on the internet at rfdesigns.squarespace.com. Then I, I stopped teaching and I ended up going back to graduate school again. Um, quote unquote for a break <laughs> teaching. Uh, and I needed I needed more income beyond my like the stipend that they give us. Um, so I started working at a woodworking store um, nearby, like um, it sells tools and things. Um, and been learning more there. I've been there like th three and a half years. Um, and yeah, and I get a discount. So that has really what has like equipped most of my shop has been working there. Um, 
and and yeah and then then decided to do the garage project um and that was a conversation because i was just i started out in our basement um and like had a miter saw down there and stuff and I, and it was just not a good situation because it's like shared too right so there's like two yeah. other bays with other people's storage and it's like sawdust was going to be on everything by the end of right. this um and so that was a motivator to get me out of the basement but also we had a negotiation where I was like, okay, like my wife, like I'll build you um, or like spruce up the area so you can have like a little workout area down here and then I'll be outside and it'll be separate and it'll be great. So um, yeah. And then spent a very long time just building the shop. Um, and now I'm finally, finally at a point where I'm like learning, like I think like real woodworking skills and um, that will hopefully soon translate to nice ish furniture because mm -hmm. I am at the box stage right now, but, <laughs> but I like what I'm learning. I, I do, I do uh, virtual lessons with a woodworker named Vic Teslin. Um, I started out doing some webinars with him and then asked if he did private instruction um, and he does, but that's, that's been great, especially during COVID just have like someone to chat with semi-regularly like mm -hmm. um, and laugh with and like talk about something you're really interested with um, and and yeah I feel like I'm getting a extremely slow fine furniture education <laughs> I'm fine with that I'm fine yeah. with extremely slow yeah, yeah. so when you talked about that first class that first box mm -hmm. I didn't see the spark of really like, this is what I really enjoy doing. Mm. So how'd you go? I mean, I guess where did you get that spark during that class? Or is it like, like what made you keep going? Hmm. Yeah, I don't, I think, no, I didn't really in the first class. I, I think I still felt like a lot of nervousness around like learning learning how to use tools and mm -hmm. and things like that um i think it i think it really and even after building a couple of things for the house like again i liked it and i was into it but i think just like in 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 undertaking like the the transformation of the garage just in the last couple years um that is just like giving me confidence that mm -hmm. I didn't, I, I really didn't have before. Um, and I just, I, this sense of accomplishment that mm -hmm. especially in like ne these nebulous times um, mm -hmm. in sort of like uh, not just COVID, but before that, just in academia and stuff, it's yeah. like this sense of like accomplishment and pride and like actually finishing something concrete and, mm -hmm. um, and, and yeah, and just like, getting confidence in that like I can I can make something and I'm competent at, at this and I love the like design aspect of of you know of like designing the space out there but now doing the smaller projects that I'm doing um mm -hmm. so I don't know I I enjoy working with my hands um I like I suppose as sort of like a like a meditative thing um, mm -hmm. 
but that sort of takes me out of my head. But I also think like uh, woodworking and making is like, is like a real creative and intellectual endeavor as well. Mm -hmm. um, and I just, I, I think it, it marries all of those really nicely. Um, and I, I just get a lot of satisfaction out of it. I don't know. Yeah. Now I do. Yeah. <laughs> but it took a while to get there yeah. because I just had such like uh, extreme nervousness around, um, you know, learning to learning to new skills and learning mm -hmm. um, to use different tools and stuff. Had you ever pursued like another type of hobby or craft working with your hands before? Uh, no, I don't think so other than like you know crazy kid thing like <laughs> shenanigans um mm -hmm. not formally no um I don't think no and at the time that I decided to do this too like I was actively searching for some sort of adult hobby because it wasn't it wasn't going to be sports anymore actually mm -hmm. I met my wife on a, like an adult softball league but um, only did that a few years and like, that wasn't, that wasn't going to be my thing anymore. Um, mm -hmm. and so in sort of like transitioning out of sports, I needed to, to find something. I think that, so I think this was the, the first, one of the first things I'd started doing with my hands. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I guess I don't have a great story for like where no, exactly I, it came from. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess. I mean, I'm definitely curious around, like, that sense of nervousness. Hmm. Um, and, and you know, about confidence. Because hmm. I, I think there's something key there, right? Like, I have always had an interest in furniture or in making things. Um, but it took me getting some classes to actually, like, feel confident enough to like, you know, be like, oh, I can do this on my own. Like I don't yeah. have to take classes or yeah. like, okay, so I've never used that tool before. Big deal. I'll figure it out. Like, but it took a long time to get to that point of yeah. like being confident to do that without kind of someone holding my hand along the way. Yeah. Um, and so I think there's definitely something, I don't know, around that right of, of just like like what do you think it I mean you talk you kind of hit on it maybe with the the garage sh shop space mm -hmm. is that I mean what about that experience do you think helped give you confidence um I mean, just, just the fact that I could do it I suppose and it didn't fall down and like it's, you know uh <laughs> But I do remember this thought process of like, you know, I like I I am not pos I couldn't be po I couldn't possibly be qualified to do this, right? Like I I I don't know how to do this. Um, and I actually asked a, a um, colleague of mine at that the woodworking store, um, who's this like uh, hilarious older fellow, um, and I was uh, is whose name is Woody, um, not not his real name, it's, yeah. But anyways. Um, he, I was like, Woody, I really want to do this. I was wondering if like you, you'd come out and check it out. And like, like, I'm really nervous. I don't know if I actually have the skills to do this. Um, 
because for the first year I was working at that store, I still wasn't like really making much of my own stuff. I was just sort of like learning about the tools and stuff still. Um, mm -hmm. And he came out to look at it and, and he didn't hesitate. And he was just like, yeah, you can do this. Um, and was like, here are the three things you need. Like the first step was like, you could see straight through the garage. It's an old cinder. Mm -hmm. It's like a hundred year old cinder block garage. You could see straight through <laughs> some of the cinder block. Um, and he's like, you need mortar and like, you need trowel and like mm -hmm. all this stuff. Right. And do you need to patch it up? And like, here's vaguely how you do it. You, you can do it, go buy it and do it. Um, and I don't know. I think I, I needed somebody to, to like give me permission mm -hmm. to do it or to have confidence in, in me. Um, Cause I like, I don't know. I just, I mean, I suppose, you know, like folks, men or folks perceived as men growing up, like um, I think grew up with that confidence. Um, like it's, like from very young, they're just told that they can do these sorts of things, right? They mm -hmm. are capable of it. And I don't think that's true for, you know, for folks perceived as women, women, you know, mm -hmm. so. Um, I just, I guess I what's, what's sticking out for me is like you, yeah. when you talked about your childhood and doing the crazy things of like the picnic table and the skateboard, mm -hmm. Or even just having the confidence to advocate for yourself when it came to wearing a dress or not. Like, yeah. there was that confidence there, right? I mean, a confidence to do something maybe crazy going down <laughs> <laughs> the mountainside. Um, yeah. But, <clears throat> like, what do you, is there something specific that you feel like you needed? that permission for when it came to doing something, uh, you know, with your hands in the sense of like the furniture or the, um, the garage space? Um, I don't know. I think, I think I just had like a deep fear of ruining everything. Mm. Um, like the material or the tool, I would ruin it. Um, and yeah, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> um, let me, let me ask this question. Sure. <laughs> I, I think I can see you thinking something, Katie. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You talked about that bookcase yeah. and you mentioned like the gaps and the, yeah. maybe the leaniness to it. I in suppose end, I'm a perfectionist. <laughs> yeah. In the, in the end, does it function? Yeah, it functions. Yeah. Does anybody but you see those flaws? Uh, my my wife probably does, but she probably doesn't care. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, yeah. So I mean, just this. Um, I, I, and I realize now, it probably it may come off as I'm picking on you, but I'm not <laughs> in the sense of. Um, I think I think a lot of us who make fall into that same. Mm -hmm. trap that perfectionist yeah rap um and I don't know what it I and I think there's two schools of people there's the the craftsman and then there's like a maker and to me they're mm. different uh mm. I think a craftsman focuses on is is a perfectionist and focus on the details and that's good for what they're making 
right? Mm-hmm. If you're making fine furniture, like you want to focus on the details, like yeah, the beauty of fine furniture happens. It generally is in the details and being able to like perfect. Okay. Like a dovetail joint or whatever, like that. There's beauty in that, right? Yeah. Whereas like the maker can tend to be more like proof of concept. Yeah. You know, like, I just want to see if I can make that thing. Yeah. And then reach a level of like, it's good enough. It functions. It's good enough. And so it's like just two different, we all kind of work interrelationally together, but like, there's definitely two, I think very much different mindsets of people depending on what they go after. Yeah. So I think that I'm very much more on the side of the craftsperson and like trying to trying to figure out um yeah how to how to make things look a very particular way mm-hmm. um and taking my time and um obsessing about the details when when in all reality like many projects don't require that right <laughs> <laughs> well or or more to the point what i've come to realize and it took time it took mm-hmm. a lot of time is that <clears throat> generally nobody else but me can see it yes and given (laughs) and given enough time away from the like direct making of that project I even can't see it all anymore yeah like I have a piece you know I have two pieces in in our home now that are eight years old that were more of my more official first builds Mm mm-hmm and at the time, I could have walked you through every last <laughs> horrible detail that I made a mistake on those pieces. And now I can't, right? They're just, yeah. they've become a part of our home. They're a part of our space. They're a part of our family. And they function in the ways that they function. And I can't tell you, I mean, sure, if I studied it long enough, I'm sure it would all come <laughs> back to me. But I can't yeah. tell you by looking at it. And nobody else in those eight years has ever been able to be like, well, what's that? space gap right there you know like nobody's been Mm -hmm. able to to do that instead they just see that a piece as a whole as an accomplished piece instead of broken down into the details of how it was created yeah um and so i think that's really fair (laughs) yeah it, it just it takes time right yeah and perhaps you're lucky enough you know my almost eight year old now he definitely spends time pointing out (laughs) those those things to me or just things that he's like yeah I don't like that thing you did there with that thing you know yeah but (laughs) if you don't have someone like that in your life then you're definitely golden I think (laughs) yeah um yeah uh all right I will say now now I'll call time I'll call time on (laughs) at the end of our time all Uh, right but I want to let people I want to give you a chance to let people know how they can find you and follow along with you yeah so um, I am on Instagram at moody underscore makes that's really the only place that I do stuff so that's where you should find me awesome awesome well thanks for chatting with me today Rachel yeah I appreciate it this is really fun yeah. I think I, I think I calmed down a bit. I wasn't this nervous. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Again, that was Rachel of Moody Makes, and I will include um, how you can follow along with her in the description for today's episode. So you can find that on whatever podcast app you're listening to this on, or if you're watching this on YouTube, you can find it down in the description below. 
head on over to um, Patreon and check out about joining the tribe over there. It really is meant to be a community. And so um, any tier level that you join up at, you get access to additional content. Um, you could get mugs, t-shirts, stickers, depending on what tier level you choose or all of the above. Also, if you like today's episode or any of the past episodes, please remember to hit that subscribe, like, and comment. Head on over to iTunes, leave a five-star review. All of that helps the podcast uh, gain more viewership slash listenership, if that's a word. Not sure if that's a word. When I'm not making podcasts, you can find me designing and making furniture and other home decor over at freemanfurnishings.com and at Freeman Furnishings pretty much across all the social media. I am active daily on TikTok and Instagram, though, so that's where you can go to see what project I'm currently walking, working on and, you know, what my current dance moves are. <clears throat> So go check that out at Freeman Furnishings. Let me know you found me through the podcast. Um, I love hearing that. All right, it's Wednesday. We're halfway through the week. I hope you're having a fantastic week and I will see you all on Friday. Does you